0: Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Romans chapter number 5, we're in verse number 13. We hit a parenthesis in the beginning of verse 13, and that parenthesis will end... Uh, at the end of verse number 17 we're going to take those two parentheses and we're going to split a message into two we'll do half of it this Sunday and then we'll finish up the thought within that parentheses next Sunday we'll start reading in verse 12 we preached on this last week so we'll read it and we'll go right into 13 wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned for until the law. Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now, who here thinks there was no sin before the law was given? That would be nobody. (laughs) Every Christian realizes that sin certainly was in the world before the law was given that's kind of a well duh that's a no-brainer so from adam to moses you didn't have 10 commandments (laughs) you didn't have the law it wasn't given until moses received them from god at mount sinai and so the, the, the issue here is that, well, people still died. <laughs> they didn't have the law to break, but they still died. Why? Well, we're going to be addressing that this morning. I think you all know the answer. The bottom line is because of sin. And you also see something else in this verse. And it says, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Why was sin not imputed? It's kind of hard to hold something against somebody that wasn't spelled out to them. You know, as parents, your children, you don't have a rule until your children do something wrong. And then you got to make up a rule. (laughs) By the way, we're not doing this anymore. And if you do that, here's the consequence. Okay. But you don't necessarily punish that child when they do wrong until they actually know that it's wrong. And so there's there's this issue coming up here with, well, if the law shows us we're wrong, what happens when there's no law? And that's the topic of this message this morning. And the point I'm trying to make, and I think the point that's made here in verse 13 very clearly answers the question, did they still sin without the law? You bet they did. They sure did. Let's say you buy 50 acres of land out here in Middle Tennessee, and it's just the land. There's no fencing. Ten years later, you put up fencing, and now you've got a uh, boundary line, if you will, that's visible for people to see. Well, when you first bought that land, if somebody drove up on their pickup truck onto your land, you wouldn't go after them. They have no idea where your property line starts and ends. There's no boundary. There's no fencing. There's no, hey, stop here sign, no trespassing sign. Now, that'd be different if your property line was marked off, right? It'd be much, it'd be much different. Just like the law is kind of like your land. When you bought your land and there was no fencing there, was that land still your land? Yes. When you put that property line up, now everybody can see it's a visual. You know what the law did? Was sin, sin before the law came? (laughs) Yes. Was wrong, wrong before the law came? Yes. What did that law do? It put up the fence. It gave people a visual, specifically the nation, The law simply stated it. The law simply put a fence where the boundary line is. And look at verse number 14. The Bible says, nevertheless, death reigned. Someone can rightly say, well, I never broke the law before the law came. There was no law to break. You're right. But you still died. Why? Sin. You still sinned. We say this, we say, uh, this person died of a natural death. Or you'll hear the term, this person died of natural causes. And we all know what that means. But it's unnatural. When God created Adam and Eve, death was unnatural. Unnatural. It's an unnatural thing. It's a result of sin. God wanted Adam and Eve to live and enjoy that garden. God's the great gardener. It was a, he said it was good. It was, a, it was fruitful, he told them. And to understand the tragedy of death and to understand death and the connection of sin to it, we've got to go back to Adam. The whole point of this start of the parentheses is, you will die because of Adam. I will die and I am a sinner just like you're a sinner, just like everybody else is a sinner because of Adam. In other words, this parenthesis is saying, hey, put aside for a minute the fact that you're an individual sinner. We all are. We already saw that in Romans 1 and Romans 2. We all are. But put that aside for a minute and take that away. If you didn't sin, you'd still be a sinner and you still die. Why? Because you're connected to Adam. It brings it back to Adam is the head and we are all under him. And because of that, we're guilty because of Adam. In other words, Romans goes through and Paul shows through many different argumentation angles that no matter which way you slice it, you're sunk. (laughs) You're sunk. Well, God never gave us the law. We're Gentiles. Okay, are you in, Adam? Okay, you're sunk. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. Then it says in verse number 14, watch. Nevertheless, death death reigned from Adam to Moses. We already talked about that. No written law. Death still occurred. People still died. Even over them this is a good verse, that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, you don't have to turn there, I have it written down here, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, that be Adam, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt, Surely die. Did God give Adam a direct command, a one commandment? <laughs> he did. Did he give that commandment to you and I? No, he didn't. We didn't break that command because that command wasn't given to us. Adam broke it. Why do we die? We're an Adam. It's picturing now, it's trying to bring out this thought in in verses 13 and 14 that it's the federal head, Adam, which is why death reigns and why we all die. You know how many babies died in the flood? You don't even want to think about it. But they did. If death is the penalty for breaking the law, that's quite a shame. Except they were in Adam, death rains people died without breaking one law that god gave moses on mount sinai why they die because they broke the first law if you will adam sinned and death reigned and it will continue to reign before the law was given and after the law was given look back at romans chapter 2 Romans chapter two, look at verse number fourteen. The Bible says, For when the Gentiles which have not the law. We preached on this rather extensively in when we were going verse by verse. No Gentile was ever given any Mount Sinai style command. It was given to the nation. But the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. They've got a conscience. But little babies and little children, they still die, even though they're not old enough for their conscience to really sort things out. Yet, the Bible says all have sinned, yet babies haven't violated the law. Babies haven't violated a conscience to really even know right or wrong. How do you connect the dots with that? In Adam. It's bringing it back to Adam as the head. In Adam, all died. It brings up the question, we're here, we might as well go back to the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. Where do babies go then? Is God going to cast them into hell because Adam and sin and death and, well, let's find out. 2 Samuel, let's look at the 12th chapter, Second Samuel chapter number 12. Bad news with David and Bathsheba, and then a child is born out of that relationship. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, look at verse number 15. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. We all know where we're at, David, Bathsheba. Out of wedlock, a child is born, that child now we see very clearly is sick, very sick. David, therefore, besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. I'd say we all would agree and probably do the same thing. Look at verse 18. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. But they said, behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? In other words, hard enough time dealing with a very sick child and even harder time dealing with your child that dies. Go down to verse number 22. Watch what it says. And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. That's what David's saying. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? He's in great sorrow over this. He's asking the question that we all know the answer to. Can I bring the child back to me? Of course he can't. That child's dead. That child's not coming back. That child's not going to see. David is not going to see his child on the earth. The fasting's over. The praying is over. The child's dead. Wherefore, should I fast? Verse 23. Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. Where's the child? If David's going to go there, where's David going? To be with the Lord when he dies. Where do you think that baby went? To be with the Lord. And he shall not return to me. He makes it clear again. He knows in his mind where that baby is. Is he going to come back to see me on the earth? No. But when David dies, he is going to go be with that child, that baby. And there's our answer. Where do young babies go when tragedy strikes and death takes a hold of them? They go and be with the Lord. Now, for more deeper doctrine on that, you can listen to the uh, the lessons that we did on the dispensations and we go from innocence to conscience and we go through the verses and we see that uh, innocence, just the quick rundown, it started in the garden. It didn't stop in the garden. Typically, when people say dispensation, they think of it as a, a start time and an end time. It doesn't end. That age of innocence hasn't ended. It's still active and alive now. And we see that with little babies and little children when they die. You put a time stamp on, well, the the age of innocence was here to here, and then the next dispensation is going to be conscience here, it's going to end here. No, they're still full and freely flowing. It's just understanding how to divide it out rightly in the Bible. And that's what we want to do in Romans 5.13 and 2 Samuel 12. We can clearly see that there is an age of innocence within little babies and little children. Now, when their conscience comes alive and they know right from wrong, we've all heard it said what? The age of accountability, if you will. They have a clear knowledge of right and wrong. So when your conscience bears witness. But what we're talking about in Romans chapter number five We all know, and any good Jew will know, that there's a national identity. And what God is doing in his word in verses 13 and 14 is bringing us back to our national identity in Adam. A real Jew, his uh, his individual identity isn't as strong as his national identity. If you were to go to a third world country, and you were to see an individual in one tribe be murdered that entire tribe would take vengeance on that man against the other tribe they would hold the other tribe responsible it's a, it's a national identity it's a tribal identity and in Adam, we're part of Adam's tribe, if you will. We're identified with Adam. The tribe's been hurt, so they're going to take vengeance. And we see this in the Bible. If you would to go back, let's take, a, let's take a trip in the Old Testament to the book of Joshua. And we'll look at good old Achan. It wasn't that good. Let's start in Joshua 6. Joshua chapter number six. Uh, they're going to conquer some land. And Jericho's in view. Look at verse number four. Bible says in Joshua six verse four, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And on the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. God gives some pretty good detail here. Like, what if they just did a, a short blast? I mean, God, what's the big deal? I mean, as long as there's a blast. No, but it was a long blast. What if they didn't shout? God gives some pretty clear detail. As we read those two verses, we can see that. And look at verse number 18. God's given all these these instructions. Well, why do we got to do this for six days? Why can't we go around seven times the first day? Let's just get it over with God. We have in our mind a better idea on how to do things. And if you're a parent, you can relate to that. Here's what we're going to do today. Well, why don't we do it this way? It'd just be quicker and easier. Well, because you asked that question, that's why we're doing it this way. Okay. <laughs> God gave them detailed instructions on how he wanted it to be done. Matter of fact, back in Joshua one, he said, if you don't follow the commands and hearken on all the worlds that I commit, he said, you're, you're going to die. Look at verse number 18. Watch who is held responsible. And ye in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. I'm bringing this out because God told they're going to conquer Jericho. And God told them, look, You're not taking spoils. Traditionally in battle, you take some spoils, right? God says, here is how it's going to go. Here's the marching commands. Here's the trumpet commands. Here's the shouting commands. And if somebody disobeys, the whole camp's in trouble. Israel is in trouble. May I say to you this morning, mothers and fathers, fathers specifically, If you do wrong, it affects your family. If you sin, it affects your camp. If I sin, it affects my family, and it affects Pilgrim Baptist. If you sin, it affects your family, and it it affects the camp of Pilgrim Baptist, for lack of a better term. It does. Don't do wrong. Oh, now we were out in tech last night and it wasn't about 10 minutes before the police came and said, uh, you can't be here. Now, I can either. Start getting ornery with the officer. And make the newspaper and get blown up on YouTube and have some social media likes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, the bottom line is when all the smoke settles, the bottom line would be, yeah, that preacher broke the law. He's trespassing on somebody's property. And you know who that affects? You. Us. One man's sin will affect the camp. Don't sin. Don't sin. That's one. There's one sermon. Go to Joshua 7. Watch what God says in verse number one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. Except the children of Israel didn't, except they did. Why? For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Achan. No, it was kindled against the children of Israel. Do you see Achan, one man, and in one verse, well, we looked at a couple in chapter 6, But right at the start of chapter 7, who's in trouble? The camp, the children, Israel, because of Achan. God said, don't take any of that junk. Get rid of all of it. Rahab and her family and everything else, slaughtering. You want more details on that? We did three messages on the giants on the earth. Go back and listen to that. And that will fill in some blanks of some other things that have been going on. But we see Achan sinned and it affect the, t- the entire camp. Look at verse 14 in, in, in chapter number seven. Look how clear this is. In the morning thereof, ye shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. You know what we learn from this verse? Man represents his household. Fathers, pay attention. You represent your family. Your child gets into sin. You're responsible. What do you mean? You sin, Adam's responsible. It's bringing a national identity, if you will, into the equation. Yes, everybody has individual responsibility, but Adam is a federal head of all. Now, you got adult children and they're out doing their own thing in the world. That's different. But in your household, your children that you're supposed to raise... Not the government school. They're not responsible to raise your children. You are. And if you're homeschooling and you're not schooling, start schooling. It's your job to train your children. It ain't my job. I got my hands full trying to raise my kids and train my kids. Man, men, daddies, fathers, tag, you're it. It's your job. And if you take on the responsibility of adopting a child or you take on the responsibility of raising a grandchild or granddaughter, you are responsible for that child. That child gets into trouble. That is your fault. Man represents his household. In verse 14, we see the household represents the family line. You know how ashamed my father would be? If I came out here and made a mess of things. That's my family lineage. Man is representative of his household. The household is representative of the family lineage. In other words, make your daddy proud, make your mama proud. It's that, it's that idea. Not only does man represent his household, not only does the household represent the family line, but the family lineage represents his tribe. We see that in verse number 14. And then ultimately that tribe is representative of the nation. Now you see how in verse 14, it goes from individual and it starts to take tiptoe and it step back. And we get this big national view. Achan is a picture, if you will, Of how his sin affected the nation. Adam is a picture if you will. Of how his sin affected us. We sin. We die. Because of Adam. It's a national deal. Look at verse number 19. Of Joshua 7. Sad day. And Joshua said unto Achan my son. Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him. And tell me now what thou hast done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. When I saw the spoils of a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran under the tent. And Behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, And the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and the asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them unto the valley of Acor. Anybody want to sign up for that pilgrimage? It's a bad deal. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. I'm telling you this morning, Achan's family died because of Achan's sin. And you and I are going to die because of Adam's sin. It's just my own individual sin. Let's all stop it with that. I can just enjoy this sin because it's not affecting anybody. It affects somebody. It affects somebody. If you're married, it affects your spouse. If you have children, it affects your children. If you have a church family, it affects your church family. You don't just inherit from Adam the tendency to sin. You inherit from Adam sin. Sin. You don't die for your own personal sin. Romans 5.13 is trying to get you to see that you die because of Adam's sin. It don't matter that you don't have the law. You die in Adam. Go back to Romans 5. Romans chapter number 5, we're in 14. So we see, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. We talked about that. Who is the figure of him that was to come? People say it's not fair. How can one sin from Adam? Why am I responsible for that? That's just not fair. It may not seem fair, but there is hope you can escape from your hopeless situation. Because if you're like most people, you say, well, if it's just individual sin, I can just try to keep myself clean. I can join a religion. I mean, the Mormons are pretty clean cut. Maybe maybe that'll work. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they try to live a a clean life. Maybe that'll work. And you can just go on down the line and then add any other workspace deal that you want. Because it's based on your individual efforts. As soon as it gets to Adam, everybody says it's not fair. Well, even it was your individual responsibility. We see that you all fall short. We all fall short. But I want you to see the connection here. Who is the figure of him that is to come? Adam's headship is, in a sense, a type of Christ. One man, all are made sinners. One man, whosoever shall receive him will receive his imputed righteousness. May I say this this morning as the hope? Young people, middle aged people, older saints included, older people involved, everybody, we are all ruined by sin, but rescued by Christ and if you are ruined by sin and you are not rescued by Christ you are still in the ruined by sin category and you can be rescued today go to first Corinthians chapter number 15 and we will start to close in this chapter first Corinthians chapter number 15 it's not my fault Well, it's not God's fault. First Corinthians 15. People want to blame God. First Corinthians 15. Verse 21. Watch what it says. For since by man came death. That's not God's fault. (laughs) Where did death come from? Okay, man. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. If death came by one man, where is freedom from death going to come from? One man. Now, let me ask you something. You're a sinner because you're an Adam. Can anybody here raise themselves from the dead? That would be no. None of us can do that. But one man did raise himself from the dead. That was Jesus Christ. So you see the contrast now that's being made. You have a federal head of Adam. You have a federal head, a second Adam. One, death. Two, freedom from death. You're ruined by one man, Adam. You're rescued by one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is not just for man. Salvation is by one man, the man, Christ Christ. Jesus look at verse number 22 first Corinthians For as in Adam all died it just affected the entire race even so in Christ shall all be made alive so whatever Adam did it affected the entire race first Adam second Adam there's got to be the contrast there Whatever the second Adam does has to be able to affect the entire race. That's why it's whosoever will. Now, that doesn't mean everybody is saved. We know that. That's why we go out and witness. But in verse 22, even so Christ shall be made alive. Verse 21, it says also the resurrection of the dead. People talk about there was the big uh, the big thing by Tony Robbins back in the late 80s and early 90s was personal power. If you get these personal power tapes, you're good. (laughs) I mean, you'll make it. And then you have the power of positive thinking. You have the power from within. It all comes from a source, a false source, which is yourself. There was only one man that had the power, that had the personal power, that had the power from within, that raised himself from the dead, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. One man, death. The other one, freedom from death. Look at verse uh, 45 in 1 Corinthians 15. Bible says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. Watch the contrast. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. Look at verse 47. The first man is of the earth. That's the first Adam, earthy. The second Adam, the second man, is the Lord from heaven. You see that? One of the earth, one of heaven. Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth. Second Adam conceived of the Holy Ghost. First Adam was created in the image of God. He was free from all bias of wrong, yet he sinned. The second Adam, harmless and defiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens, never sinned. The first Adam was tempted and was conquered by that temptation. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was tempted. He triumphed over that temptation. We can have one of two heads. First Adam, character of selfishness, a character of personal ambition, a character of unbelief. Second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, a character of humility, a character of selflessness, who always did the will of his father. You see the contrast. We have a first Adam and a second Adam. Verse 48. As is the earth, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are the heavenly. You got a connection between the first Adam and the second Adam. And you know what we're guaranteed down here uh, on the earth? Pain. Pain. Sickness, suffering, backache, knee ache, hip ache, headache. <laughs> Anybody else have any other aches? Amen. <laughs> we just fill the whole prayer list. Just name you aches. Just don't be an ache in. Second Adam, you're guaranteed. Guaranteed. To be free from pain, free from sickness, free from sorrow, free from tears, free from it all in the heavenly. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's a guarantee. You will have a body that is glorified. You'll have a body that's free from sin. You'll have a body that is incorruptible. So why not, if you haven't already, put your faith in the second atom and you're guaranteed to be free from all of that. You say, my mind's so whacked out, I don't know what to do. You're not going to know what to do here on earth. Why don't you put your trust in the one who will take away all your headaches and your mind aches and all the other aches that we listed? That is what you are guaranteed to come. Right now, down here on earth, you're just stuck in the body of flesh because of Adam. But one day, if you're a believer, by one, there's condemnation. By the other, the second Adam, you have justification Onto life. I'm telling you, you're ruined by sin. I'm ruined by sin. We are ruined by sin. If you have not been rescued by Christ this morning, receive his free grace. You are ruined by sin, but can be rescued by Christ.